The Phantom Menace opens at midnight. The place in the Star Wars line. lining up a few months ago. Get out your lightsabers. You just may have noticed that Star Wars. Menace. The latest episode opens nationally at midnight tonight. The hype surrounding this movie has been overwhelming. Now the question is, will it deliver? They're about to open the doors in just a few minutes, and people are revved to talk to celebrating uh, the new beginning of the Star Wars saga, and that came from the very heart of Mr. George Lucas himself. Now, I've just received a personal message from George. Should we play it? Yeah? All right, then, let's take a look. Thank you for coming to the celebration. It's uh, one, one of my favorite movies, you know, and of course, Jar Jar is my favorite character. Ahmed, he did a fantastic job. It was very, very hard. Also for John Knoll and all the guys at ILM, I made it impossible for them. We broke a lot of ground. We were using test equipment, uh, and uh, but it was the beginning of digital. Even though we didn't get to shoot the whole thing digitally, we did shoot part of it. So it was really one of the first digital features and I'm very proud of that. The fans are always such a big part of these films, and obviously those of you who are here uh, are the fans of episode one, and uh, I love each and every one of you. fans and move milkers everywhere welcome to episode number 197 of blast points this is jason this is gabe and can you believe it this is the final month of phantom menace year phantom menace year phantom menace year number 12 there's 12 days of christmas and there's 12 months of phantom menace year it was like in our Phantom Force episode, everything's in twos. Even you know, Sky Talkers did an episode where they were talking about how that, Star Wars is all in twos. Maybe Star Wars. Maybe we can come up with a theory how Star Wars is all in twelves. <laughs> I bet we could figure that out. There are after Rise of Skywalker, there will be twelve live action films. Hmm. 
How many? Ooh, oh, <laughs> is it could be a clue. How many members of the Jedi Council were there? Was it nine or was it twelve? Twelve members. Oh, Star Wars is all about twelves. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> Coincidence? Are there coincidences in Star Wars? You know, in my experience, there's no such thing as luck. This is month twelve of Phantom Menace year. It's been a wild journey. We started with the the script drafts all the way almost a year ago to the the sound effects to the Rick McCallum spectacular to Steve Sansweet talking about celebration the the models and miniatures the Jar Jar tribute the novelization the score with David Collins the hype about with Marvel Lump the costumes and then the Force and then here we are it's crazy. Yeah, people thought we were nuts. There's no way you can do 12 episodes about the Phantom Menace. They might have been right. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to see what we can do here. We're going to squeeze every last ounce of Phantom Menace juice out of of this film. For this 12th month of Phantom Menace year, it was a unique situation because going into this episode... We were kind of stuck on for the I think for the first time ever with the the, the sixteen years we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> it was like, what haven't we talked about? Like in terms of like big stuff. Yeah, and Phantom Menace is a big movie. There's a lot of stuff in there to talk about. Maybe we maybe we talked about it all. I don't know. It was, it was really tough because it was. I feel like. We always had the last month kind of empty, and we always thought, well, something will come up. And we were going into this episode being like, well, I mean, we talked about Marfa Lump. What else is there to talk about, honestly? you know. But that's the beauty of Phantom Menace. If you go digging in the cracks and crevices, there's always stuff to find. And we did make a list of some little bits and pieces we found in the nooks and crannies that maybe we've mentioned in the past, but maybe not. Because it is like, it's like digging for lost treasure. You're always, dig a little deeper, you can find something in the Phantom Menace. And Phantom Menace just never seems to leave the the popular dialogue when something Star Wars is going on. Whether it's Mandalorian and people being all excited, or the incoming missile that is the Rise of Skywalker... Whenever this happens, and it happened with Force Awakens, and it happened again with The Last Jedi, whenever people start getting excited about Star Wars, there's got to be those, most of the time, major news outlets that are just like, well, everybody's excited for Star Wars, but remember the Phantom Menace sucked. And it's like, right. <laughs> it's like what? Like, in the past two weeks, we've had like a BuzzFeed article. We had like an Entertainment Weekly thing that is just like, hey, everybody, Phantom Menace sucks. And it's like... <laughs> We're trying to have fun here. Come on. Yeah. We we heard there's some people who like this movie, but we're just here to tell you that you're wrong. This movie sucks. <laughs> it's funny because Phantom Menace is almost, it's like uh, Phantom Menace is like Rambo and it just wants to retire, but he just keeps getting called back to save people. <laughs> they keep sending them back to the war. He's just, Phantom Menace just wants to go out like Galen Erso and start farming, but Krennic's always showing up and, you know, don't forget about Phantom Menace. <laughs> you're a brilliant scientist, but you're a terrible liar. <laughs> but I keep thinking back to Celebration Chicago and that that panel we went to and that room full of people 
losing their minds when they played that teaser trailer, screaming and shouting when John Knoll and Doug Chang, the standing ovation for Ahmed Best. Yeah, because if anything over the years, the best thing other than just loving this movie is actually finding out that we're not the only crazy people in the world and that there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that like this goofy movie as much as we do. And that and that 20 years later, it's still it's a Star Wars movie and it's as much a Star Wars movie as any other Star Wars movie. People who were our age when the movie came out and people like we've said on through Phantom Menace year this whole time, people that were young when this movie came out and this movie means something completely different to them and the people that are young right now. And like we've said in Phantom Menace year many times too, that episode one is just another chapter, another episode in the Star Wars saga, all the weird baggage and everything doesn't even matter anymore. And someday maybe our children will live in a world where you can <laughs> a new Star Wars movie can come out and there won't be ten don't forget Phantom Menace's lame articles <laughs> won't come out. Well it's gotta be better than Phantom Menace. <laughs> Even after all everything we went through with the last Jedi. <laughs> at least at least it's got some company. <laughs> last Jedi and Phantom Menace can keep each other company in the hate the hate articles for the next 20 years. (laughs) Not from us. Not from us. Like I went back this week and I rewatched that Phantom Menace panel, hoping to get inspired, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and it reminded me how great kind of that morning was. And I feel like we walked out of that panel. Like everyone thought like, Oh, there, you and McGregor is going to come out and announce the Obi-Wan show or George Lucas is going to come out on a jetpack and throw candy onto the audience or something. And there was some people were kind of like, Oh, but I feel like we felt this afterwards too, that it was like, well, there wasn't like a big, like shocker zinger moment in that panel, but the fact that it happened was amazingly special. And George Lucas's, Weird back of a restaurant video message was just incredible. Where he have we ever heard George Lucas tell people that he loves them ever before? I, I don't think so. At least not from the back of a restaurant in a cell phone video. <laughs> You're at the celebration. You like episode one, and I love you. I'm I'm writing you all in my will. <laughs> You're my favorite people. I don't care about anybody else. Yeah. But that the there was like being before that panel started that day, it was kind of like, wow, here we are in this weird room where the people in here that had to go to, we don't even care what happens. We're just here because we love Phantom Menace. And when you looked out over that crowd, it was people of all different ages. Phantom Menace has been for so long now, for 20 years, like the weird blip of Star Wars history. People don't talk about Attack of the Clones or people's feelings on Revenge of the Sith as much as people, like we said, keep bringing up Phantom Menace. And it's like, well, we've loved this movie in an insanely passionate way for 20 years. And so have all these other people. And thinking back over all the stuff we did in the previous 11 months, you know, yeah, we love the the sound effects are awesome. And Rick McCallum's great. And the the models and miniatures and Jar Jar and the score is incredible. And the hype was fun. And the costumes are great. And the force is neat. But like, aside from all that, I don't know, I got like, I really got thinking like this past week, like, 
well, why do I love The Phantom Menace as much as I do? Why is it my number two behind Jedi? Like, what is it about The Phantom Menace style of Star Wars that, like, resonates with us as much as we do, that we'd want to do something as crazy as Phantom Menace year? I don't know. What, what do you think, Gabe? Like, if you, if you get real deep and you, you look at yourself in the mirror, <laughs> be like, why do you like Phantom Menace? Yeah, I think, I mean, some of this maybe I've talked about before, but it is like, it is probably the one I watch the most, other than the the end of Attack of the Clones is, is right up there. But start to finish, I never get tired of watching Phantom Menace. I think it's, you know, it is like the original movie, it's self-contained. So it's almost like you don't feel compelled to maybe immediately watch the next one is jam packed full of stuff. Like if you have 10 minutes and you're just going to watch 10 minutes of Phantom Menace, you are like, you feel like you've watched a whole other movie. I don't know. I think it's just all the stuff I love about star Wars in general packed into one movie with the creatures and the ships and the fighting and the music and the characters. And it's just like, it's like a happy place to be. It's like eating mashed potatoes with gravy or something. <laughs> But for my eyes, it's like maybe you can't live on mashed potatoes and gravy, but it sure is fun when you try. <laughs> I, had, I had one good day and then went downhill very quick. <laughs> like I could recognize like the probably one realistic reason why I love Return of the Jedi so much was the age. Like we both were when Return of the Jedi came out. We were just old enough where we could really freak out about Star Wars and our young kid level of Star Wars mania was at an impossible height by the time Return of the Jedi came out. And it's funny that like Phantom Menace came out just what the month or weeks after I graduated from college where it was another like turning point and here's new Star Wars for you at this moment where you need it the most, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And so I think that's like a, it's a weird like connection where, yeah, I needed Star Wars at that moment. And it's like, like you said, Phantom Menace is everything I want in Star Wars. And like, like we said over the past 11 months, it's a movie that's so fun for some people to just dismiss as lame or boring or whatever. But it's possibly the most complicated, layered weird star wars movie ever with the last jedi maybe in second place and maybe that's the thing with the i don't know maybe that's a connection but <laughs> but that's kind of like what i like to find it's the probably one of the only star wars movies that holds up to repeated viewing so much because there is so much going on under its bizarre surface like when we did the the phantom force episode there's mysteries and riddles of the force that are introduced in Phantom Menace that still haven't been solved and still nobody has an answer for. And we may never, and that's cool. The effects were mind-blowing and the costumes and the score, it was all so new and just so like invigorating and exciting. And that's the thing. I've never really gotten like that. I get that maybe some people think Jar Jar is annoying, fine, whatever. But I've never, but it's like, well, the movie's not, Star Wars Jar Jar, you know, like you can put that aside and there's a lot going on in this movie that I, in my opinion, if you like Star Wars, you're going to like, I don't know. Well, 
it's interesting for you saying about graduating from college thing, because I guess that would be the same for me. And it's kind of neat when you read the interviews or hear Lucas talk about now where, hey, you know, the Star Wars movies were for kids about to become adults. And in a way, it was kind of like we were college kids about to become adults. So maybe there is some truth to that, that when you're at that stage in your life, either as a younger kid or even an older kid, that you can kind of relate to these characters. And it is almost like when we were little kids relating to Luke, who was older, but then as older kids relating to Anakin, who was younger, it kind of, I don't know, it rhymes. It does kind of, maybe that's part of it. And, and also, yeah, then just some of the, just, yeah, the movie itself. Like, I just remember when it came out, like, just the way it's paced, which I've, there's people that think the movie's boring. I don't understand because every time I watch it, it's like, oh, I'm just going to watch the next part. And then the next part comes and it's like, oh, then this part's next. Oh, I'm just going to watch until, you know, the sea monsters show up. Oh, wait, now I got to wait till they go and get uh, rescue Queen Amidala. Oh, okay. I'll just wait till they get to Tatooine. Oh, wait, I'm just going to watch the pod race. Oh, wait, they haven't even got to Coruscant yet. It's like, <laughs> and then before you know it, the movie's over. We brought this point up before, but I think it's worth mentioning is it has you thinking differently about everything you thought you knew about the original trilogy. And that's like, like we were saying, that's the same thing with the sequel trilogy, where now that's changing everything you thought you knew about the prequels and the original trilogy. And that's kind of like what the Star Wars movies, what their, it's almost like what their role is to do. Like I said, it's, it's what I needed (laughs) <laughs> at that time like yes it's a new it's a new time it's a new path it's a new saga let's go let's do this i'm ready i'm 100 percent locked in <laughs> well it's always i think especially now more than ever to just go back to that first movie which was actually the middle chronologically of seeing it but ori- the first movie in the story now that we're getting to what is supposed to be the last movie of the story We've seen enough of Rise of Skywalker to see just how far from Phantom Menace the story has moved and the universe has moved and everything that, again, it I think it makes it fun to go back and watch this like little movie about the good old days before all this craziness happened. And that's, I think, always going to make it kind of feel special and, and different than the other films, even including with Rogue One and Solo now. Like it's it's kind of its own little thing. I remember one of the Phantom Mass episodes we said, and it's still true. It's like the only Star Wars movie where there's not a real war going on. There's like a ground battle and a space battle and stuff, but it's not like a war. The most exciting part of the movie is a a race. <laughs> it's like, will we ever get a Star Wars movie that the most exciting part is just a race again or something? I don't know. I mean... I think it's hard for any of these things for, you know, to aside from the cliche things you hear all the time when somebody asks you, like, why do you love Star Wars? And it's like, well, this and this and this. And yeah, well, I grew, I grew up with it. And it's, you know, a mythic fairy tale about good and evil and all the stuff you hear all the time. But it's like everyone says that. But it's like, well, why do you, you know? Looking at Phantom Menace, like beyond all the things we talked about, yeah, it's it's tough to really pinpoint why you love something like as much as we do with Phantom Menace. But it's, and I guess that we've kind of summed it up where it is. It's 
it's all the things we covered over the year. It's all the things we just talked about. But there is, yeah, if we're going to be this freaky about Phantom Menace, there's got to be, you know, there's something deeper in it with us, you know? Well, and and sometimes it's as simple, too, as, like, it makes you feel good to watch it. Like, it puts a smile on my face. Like, I can't be grumpy when Phantom Menace is on. It's just, I don't know. It just, it it tickles the happy part of my brain. <laughs> yeah. It makes me, it, and it makes me feel like cozy. It makes me feel like, Oh, it gets calming. It's yeah. This is, this is the good stuff. Just going to spend some quiet time with, with my friends, the creatures. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love the creatures. <laughs> those, all those, all the Yodas, these robots and space creatures. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, for, and for every Star Wars fan, that feeling means something. For for so many people, it's the Clone Wars show. For so many people, it's Rebels. For so many people, it's the the the, the new sequel trilogy. For some people, it's just the original trilogy. For some people, it's like only Empire Strikes Back. And I think like that's the thing too. Is as, as we we enter this period now of people getting really excited about Star Wars again. It's like it's good to remember. It's it's okay for everyone to just like what they like. If you like it, cool. If you don't like it, that's fine. But just let other people like what they like. Because you can't help it. You just, you like what you like. And that's all you can do. <laughs> just go with it. I didn't know that Newt Gunray would speak to me the way he does. But I can't help it. <laughs> can't stop now. It's too late. I didn't want to think about Nemodians every night as I close my eyes. But that happens. Rats Tyrell's family. The most beautiful thing of all time. What was life before Rats Tyrell's family? We don't know. Some people talk about, you know, their cousins and their other family members on Thanksgiving. Some people say a prayer for Rats Tyrell's family. Everybody's different. <laughs> Some people do that. Maybe, maybe people we know. I don't know. refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? At last we will have revenge. I'm going to take off! Fear is the path to the dark side. Wipe them out. All of them. Ready for G. All right, so like we said, we did we did eleven previous months of Famous Year, but there's still some bits, some some little tasty bits, some little chunky bits, some little favorite Famous things that we just didn't have time to go over. You know, we had like Steve Sansweet on and David Collins, and we couldn't some of this stuff you can't bring up with those people. Yeah, and maybe maybe we mentioned some of these things in passing. You never know because they're always. They're always on our brains, but we're going to give them some time to shine here. Some of these little, some uh, we were digging through the Phantom Menace couch, through the cushions, and we pulled out some, some, some coins and <laughs> and change a pretzel, pretzel or two. Maybe it's still good. I don't know. Like a Cheerio. Yeah. Where? How long has this been in there? I don't know. Yeah. It's still crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> it's been twenty years. Yeah. Still crunchy. Yeah. All right, so where where should we start on uh, the hidden Cheerios in the couch of the Phantom Menace? I'm going to jump right in 
with this because I don't think enough people realize this because it's like literally one tenth of a second, I think. But towards the end of the film, when Padme tells Boss Nass who she really is and the Gungans and the Nabooians become friends, there are Gungan kids. There's a shot of Gungan kids and they're pretty cute. They're not Baby Yoda tiny cute, but they're like adolescent Gungans. Isn't there like a Gungan mom holding a little Gungan baby? Or is this just something I wanted to imagine my whole life being real? I don't think there's a Gungan baby, but I could be wrong. But there are, there's like Gungan moms and kids just hanging out. And I don't think we give them enough love, those Gungan kids, because they're there. They're hanging out. Yeah, no one ever talks about it. They were the precursor to Yoda Baby, the Gungan kids. Well, my I'm gonna go the next one, and this is this is the big one that we probably could have in an alternate dimension dedicated a whole episode to this. It's the Bibble, the Seal Bibble. Negotiation. We've lost all communication. Your negotiations seem to have failed. Negotiations. Communication. Communication. Negotiation. Negotiations. Communication. Communication. Someday I'm going to drown in the sea of Bibble. <laughs> I'm going to just let myself sink to the bottom. The Bibble. You got to give it up to the Bibble because the Bibble is in every, every prequel film. There's not many secondary characters that showed up in each prequel film, but the Bibble is one of the only ones. He's got an amazing beard. He's got a great sense of fashion. Every word that always comes out of his mouth is awesome. I don't think he likes Anakin very much in Attack of the Clones, but that's another story. Unfortunately, he doesn't say anything in Revenge of the Sith, does he? He just looks sad, which is maybe the saddest part of Padme's funeral is seeing sad Bibble. That he's, he's rendered speechless, which you know, you know it's a very serious thing if Bibble has nothing to say. I bet you he gave a speech, though, at the funeral. He probably said, this is unfortunate. What do you think, Master Jedi? Okay, where do we go next? One of the things Phantom Menace gave us we'd never seen but only heard of was the Imperial Senate. And it did not disappoint with the wide range of wacky alien senators from all over the universe. We've talked about the E.T. senators, I'm sure. Back in the E.T. as a Jedi. But I don't know if we spent enough time talking about the Wookiee Senator. No, we have not. No. Yes. Mm -hmm. There is a beautiful silver fox Wookiee with some streaks of gray in his fur. I think he's wearing like a fancy sash, right? He doesn't have like bags. He just has like this fancy sash that he's wearing. His name was... Yarua Y-A-R-U-A Yarua And I just remember During the production of episode one When they released the photo Of a Wookiee senator We almost lost our minds We're like <laughs> Oh my god they got me a Wookiee It's true There was There were probably some sleepless nights They're like oh my gosh There's Wookiees What are they going to do Are they going to be flying ships Are they going to Is there going to be a Wookiee Jedi What is the Wookiee going to do is it Amber Alert? Because you just wander out of your house and just start walking. Oh, 
It's an amber alert because of his beautiful amber fur. My, my phone's blowing up. <laughs> You're like, the other senators are like, look at that Wookiee over there. There's an amber alert. He's <laughs> got a fancy sash. <laughs> oh, that was so good. That's a good Wookiee. Oh. It makes sense, right? Wookiees need senators too. And they it made an action figure so everyone could have their own Wookiee senator in their their home Senate chamber. That they have uh, in the basement. Well, the next one I'm going to go for a fairly obvious one. Everybody could see this come. We didn't dedicate a whole episode to him, but we probably could have. The Watto. We talk about Watto a lot, but you can never talk about Watto too much. Watto's an essential part of episode one during Phantom Menace. Midnight Madness at Toys R Us. He was the only figure I bought for both episode one and episode two. He's Watto. He's beautiful. He's outrageous. Like we talked about in the Jar Jar episode, Jar Jar was incredible technology, but you can't forget that Watto looks absolutely phenomenal in the movie. And how many movies can you think of that have lovable slave owners in them? (laughs) (laughs) That, that, that That just melt your heart. Yeah. A bulbous belly and fly around with little feet that do nothing. And as we learned from the, what was it, the, was it Tatooine Ghost? That, that Wado really missed me when she left and he came to her wedding uninvited. There's an open bar. Yeah, if, if JJ's really trying to tie the, the saga together, maybe we'll get, uh, Wado will show up at the end. To save the day. The girl's good, no doubt there, huh? Maybe he'll just, like, look at the camera afterwards. Well, that was a good story, no? Huh? <laughs> that Ben Solo turned out to be a good guy, huh? <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be cool with that. Yeah. The movie ends with Ben Solo back to the light side, kissing Watto <laughs> on the cheek. I never knew. How much I loved you. He walks right past Ray, right up to Watto. Everybody, everybody <laughs> says they know me, but they don't. But I do. <laughs> we could keep going forever. What's next? The Senate may have had no confidence in him, but I think we have confidence in Chancellor Valorum. Chancellor Valorum. General Zod, Terrence Stamp, is going to be in a Star Wars movie. Everybody get ready. It was a little... There was a lot of hype. People were really pumped up. Who's he going to be? Is he going to be like the Grand Wizard of the Jedi? What's going on? He was Chancellor Valorum. Who is awesome. He's in like two scenes and he's awesome. Yeah, I always felt so bad for him. It, But if anything, I think his whole issues and, and confusion with being in the film just basically plays up Chancellor Valorum, the character. Like he's supposed to be this character who's kind of – in over his head and overwhelmed by the whole situation. And Terrence Stamp, I don't even think was acting. He was just there overwhelmed and confused by the whole situation. (laughs) (laughs) And it just made it perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just waiting to meet Natalie Portman. He just (laughs) got to meet a rubber, a tennis ball on a stick instead. (laughs) John Knoll holding up a silver ball. (laughs) Well, and there was, was there was the Clone Wars where Valorum came back. 
right? Wasn't was that the one where where Fives was trying to investigate what happened, or am I getting my Clone Wars arcs mixed up? No, I think uh, that could have been Valorum. I think was the he was the one that sent Sifo-Dyas on the mission, right? Wasn't he tied into the Sifo-Dyas stuff? Oh, yeah. yes, 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 yes. So, and well, and Valorum is on that list, like the Wookiee Senator and the Gungan Kids, of things that only exist in the Phantom Menace, at least live action, because Valorum did come back in Clone Wars, but they were Phantom Menace treats. Valorum wasn't even mentioned in Attack of the Clones or Sith, but I always wondered what happened to Valorum. Where'd he go? Yep. Well, he had that sweet apartment he was living in in Clone Wars. So he was doing okay. Well, while we're on the Valorum kick, I am going to make a special mention of kindly Senator Palpatine in The Phantom Menace and how good kindly Senator Palpatine is in this movie. He's I, His hair is incredible. It looks like at any moment he could fly away with those wings on the side of his head. His costumes are off the charts. And I swear, every single scene, he like comes in smiling. Oh, Ian McDermott was like, I got to be the ultimate evil in Return of the Jedi. I'm going to be the ultimate cheery guy <laughs> in this one, just to give you that contrast. Because it is a thing, even now, thinking back, like, oh, the Emperor's going to be in this movie. And he was, but we also got, yeah, kindly Chancellor Palpatine, who was just so not what the emperor ultimately ends up being or who he really is beneath the surface. And it was just so much fun to see that. And uh, so fascinating with pay, paying attention to the movie. If you just think like, God, that's the emperor and he's pretending to be like this nice guy. And he's like, Oh, I will be chancellor, you know, and smiling and I'm doing all this stuff and just watching him pull the strings being the phantom menace and creating this whole situation. It's just absolutely fascinating. Like, like we said many times that one of the reasons why this movie benefits so much from multiple, multiple viewings, because there's no way you can think about Watto and kindly Chancellor Palpatine and how that affects like the galactic civil war all in like the space of really two hours. You need like, okay, this time I watch it. I'm only going to think about Palpatine. Well, and leading up to rise of Skywalker, whether it was planned all along or it was a last minute decision, whatever made them decide to bring Palpatine back. It kind of makes sense. And we go back to the first movie and we see Palpatine and we're going to the last movie nine movies later and in some shape or form we're gonna see ian mcdermott's palpatine again to book book ending the whole saga the long game there is a great disturbance in the force everything is proceeding as i have foreseen (laughs) what what do we have next mysterious bounty hunter or a sing or a sing you were in the movie for like one second, and that's all it took for everyone to fall in love with you instantly. <laughs> Do you remember after The Phantom Menace came out, it was Aurora Singh mania. Mm-hmm. She was in the comics. She was in like the Moondi comics. The demand for an Aurora Singh figure was out of control. People forget about Aurora Singh mania, but it existed. It was real. I'm trying to remember, was there any thing on her before the movie came out i 
remember nothing where the pod I, I just remember the pod races zoomed by and it was like whoa what is that she had the red outfit and the white skin and she had like a giant rifle and an antenna coming out of her head and it was like what is that it's part of me seems to remember there was something about her before the movie came out or at least soon after the movie came out enough to when i was watching the movie i was looking for her but maybe it was just because it was like, yeah, who is that? And I remember in the the miniatures game, they finally made a f- figure for her, and she could use her lightsaber and her blaster, and she would kick the crap out of everybody. I swear, every issue of the Mundi comics had Aurora Singh. There was like a six-issue series that was all like Aurora Singh versus Mundi. And I remember reading it being like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read in my life. Aurora Singh Mania. Is it still going on? I don't know. I'm glad she got mentioned in Solo. Beckett killed her. I still have Aurora Singh Mania. I'm I'm not giving up the dream. Well, and she was in Clone Wars a little bit. She was she was in Clone Wars a lot, and she was great. Yeah. So we at least we at least have the memories. She could be back in Clone Wars. It's coming back. Maybe the saga of Aurora Singh is not done. That's true. Okay. Next up, I am going to go with one of my personal favorites. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor is constantly changing hair in The Phantom Menace. I know we've talked about this before in some episodes somewhere, but we're going to talk about it again. It's something I, I think everyone has noticed in The Phantom Menace, but people don't like to talk about it. It's a, it's a family secret in Star Wars. The fact that <laughs> there are some parts where that are clearly actually Ewan McGregor's hair. And then there are other parts that look like a wig that like I made in the space of a half hour. And I have no experience in making wigs. But what's beautiful about that is that carried over into Attack of the Clones is just being, maybe that's just an Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. Like sometimes things explode in his house and his hair gets burned off and he's got to wear a wig for a few weeks. <laughs> like it's just a thing that happens. He's he's always doing experiments. <laughs> a little bit of sulfur and a little bit of Alka-Seltzer let's, and some Coca-Cola. Let's see what happens. I hope in the Kenobi show, every episode, his hair is like a different wig. Well, maybe we see him putting his toupee on since now we know uh, Alec Guinness had his toupee. So... <laughs> The Obi-Wan show always starts with, like, behind the headshot of shiny, bald (laughs) Ewan McGregor's head, and then he glues on the toupee in the morning. Ready to go. While the theme music plays. (laughs) Kenobi. (laughs) He's putting on his robe. Relax. Take a deep breath. Okay, on that note, what do you have next? Grogra the Gorgmonger? Yes. Me, we, we, whoopee. Oh. The most, is it the most ridiculous suit puppet thing in The Phantom Menace? Is there anything more ridiculous? Uh, I don't know if it's the most ridiculous, but it's the most, like, cuddly. You just want to go hug it and squeeze it. I think of it as a she. I've always, uh, I like she's she's always smiling. I have an action figure of her. I loved her at first sight. I pretty much like imprinted on her Jacob style with Renesmee. 
I'm kind of jealous. I don't think I realized that they made an action figure and I don't have it. Mm. <laughs> did she come with the Gorgs? Yes, she did. Mm-hmm. Yes, she did. The, what are they? What are they in Hutties? Is it ch- Chubas? Chubas. Ch- well, yeah, when when it, when it lands on Sebulba, Chuba. Is she at the Lucasfilm archives? Nobody knows. We'll never go. We'll never be invited. I, I hope that she's in a private collection and that person just pretends like it's their roommate and just does everything with it. Like it sits at the table and eats dinner with them and he puts it in a stroller or a, car, a wheelchair and takes it to the, to the grocery store. <laughs> they sit on the couch together and watch, watch their shows at night. That's where it, that's where it belongs. It doesn't belong in a archive or a museum. It it wants to live. <laughs> it's a documentary I would watch. It's called Gra Gra. I love ya. Ah, moi moi. Hey hey, you want my wonder? Huh? Oh God, we'll build. Next up, I'm gonna go to one of the. First people we meet in the Phantom Menace, TC-14. Beautiful droid. Right away, we've got a silver protocol droid that talks. We didn't have too many other, like, strictly, like, C-3PO-looking protocol droids that talked in the original trilogy. Right away in Phantom Menace, you know the movie's playing for keeps because here's TC-14 carrying a drink tray, talking to Nemodians. We're in Star Wars country. (laughs) (laughs) Beware. Things might get weird. The t- I remember when the TC-14 12-inch came out, and it was like a while after Phantom Menace had been in, in theaters, and the tide had kind of turned on the opinion of the movie. And I think I was like, I picked it up on my way to work, and I like brought it in. I was like, look what I got. It's a talking TC-14 12-inch. <laughs> and people are like, what? From that movie? Yeah. It's from the best scene in the best movie. <laughs> Look, she came with a drink tray and a cup. I could put a little bit of water in this cup, and she can deliver it to me, and I can really drink it for real. Make yourselves comfortable. My master will be with you shortly. All right, so what do we have next? One of the best cameos in all the Star Wars films, the John Knoll Naboo fighter pilot who supposedly got so much screen time because of his sweet goatee, and it was very easy to tell that he was different than the other people. But yeah, after seeing John Knoll's face and kind of realizing who John Knoll was in all the behind-the-scenes stuff with Phantom Menace, then you could go watch the movie and see, wait, that guy looks familiar. I love that guy. That guy is making magic happen. It's too bad the uh, the sweating guy from the real, 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 not so real. It's too bad he didn't make it as a pilot. Yeah, they should have had him as like a really nervous pilot. Looking around, chewing gum, sweating. He, he was still sitting in the hangar looking nervous and his, his Naboo ship just explodes in the hangar. So we're getting towards the end of the, of the little golden nuggets of Phantom Menace, but... I gotta give a shout out to we we talked about Bibble, but we gotta talk about all the other weird people in the Naboo conference room. It's like <laughs> it's like a bingo hall in there. It's just a bunch of old folks in there with gray hair. Who are they? They're like Naboo officials or something. It just smells like cigarettes in there and coffee. They were told there would be sandwiches at this meeting. I'm going to the city council meeting. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like Bibble's hair. They have names, right? Don't they have names in the... Oh, yeah. And they have, like, jobs. There's a guy named Hugo that's an architect. There's a guy named Graf who's in charge of Naboo's energy supply. Hella is the, the like, ambassador to the arts community on Naboo. And Lufta, who's, like, the head of, like, teaching on Naboo. I don't know. It's all very George Lucas, and I love it. It's Naboo is the greatest place to live in all of Star Wars, and you can hang out with people like Lufta. Maybe Hela is uh, Paolo's mom, and that's why he decided to go and be an artist like his mom. Hela does have dreamy eyes, so maybe it runs in the family. <laughs> all right, so what do you have next? We may have talked about it in the past, but we can never talk about it enough. The 3PO puppet. How do you make 3PO cooler? Then a guy in a suit, you make him a puppet. And I don't know that people realize that 3PO was a puppet in Phantom Menace and was going to be in Attack of the Clones, right? For a little bit until they decided to put the the coverings on him kind of off screen. But yeah, like he was either a rod puppet or like attached to a person in a blue suit. And I want to say they did it that way because they thought he would only be in a couple shots and then they decided to put him in a lot of shots. So... There were quite a few people painting out the puppeteer, but I mean, that's how Force Awakens did so much stuff. You know, 20 years later, Phantom Menace was doing that with 3PO way back then. It's like how they did BB-8. And it's just cool to see weird skeleton 3PO. Which we, in the preview for The Rise of Skywalker, there's the part where they take off the back of 3PO's head. And there's that 3PO puppet magic, you know, still right there. I'm not sure this floor is entirely stable. Oh, hello. I don't believe we have been introduced. R2-D2, a pleasure to meet you. I am C-3PO Human Cyborg Relations. I beg your pardon, but what do you mean, naked? All right, so our final little chunky bit from The Phantom Menace. It's a big one. It's the Jedi Council. It really is. It's a dream come true. It's a gift we don't deserve that the Jedi Council could have just been a bunch of boring, just people wearing robes. But that's not how George Lucas rolls. It's a couple people wearing robes and some of the wackiest, craziest, goofiest aliens you could ever dream of sitting in a room, sitting in chairs. I always loved that Qui-Gon Jinn is talking some heavy stuff, like just heavy, like really important to not just the story of this movie, but the story of all the movie stuff. And in the background is just Yarrow Poof, just moving his head side to side, real just crazy necking, just getting, just thinking about what Qui-Gon is saying, just some Yarrow Poof action. Yeah, a, a, a living Q-tip. It's just bobbing back and forth. And there's Yaddle, which in the past month, more people have been talking about Yaddle than ever before. <laughs> Maybe the month after Phantom Menace came out, people were talking about Yaddle. But yeah, Yaddle is back. Apparently no one likes this movie, but everyone remembers Yaddle. She's back. Is she Yoda Baby's mom? Maybe. Is she awesome? Yes. <laughs> but, you know, if you would have asked me six months ago, is are, we gonna, are people going to be talking about Yaddle again? I would have said, no, you're crazy. Oh, this is so many. There's, there's Plo Koon. There's Moondi. There's Adi Galia, which 
when I got an Adi Gallia action figure, like three, four months after Fan Mask came out, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever bought ever in my life. Depa Bilaba was awesome. She was Kanan's master, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you heard there's a lot of crazy facial hair in Star Wars. Well, there's the Jedi master of crazy facial hair, Opal Rancis's whose entire the bearded snake man whose entire face is a beard he's a beard with eyes with fancy like like he's going to a wedding hair on top and yeah hey give the beard man a snake body okay absolutely gorgeous in every way shape and form he is he is and we can't forget even peel Mm -mm. the not yoda the the pink not yoda who's missing an eye we at least got him in Clone Wars, didn't we? Yeah, he got he gets killed in Clone Wars, I think. Well, we squeezed the juice out of the Phantom Menace. We've we've drained it. There's nothing left. Maybe, but I say that, but there always is. There's there's always more to explore with Phantom Menace. There's more to love. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I don't know. I I'm really happy with our Phantom Menace year. Looking back, we've I think we've. We've crafted a thesis statement on the Phantom Menace. And you can't forget, too, we we had the episode where we were on Sky Talker show, where we did 20 things we love about Phantom Menace. That counts, you know? Maybe that's... You're that's, right. And, and Tatooine Ghost was kind of a Phantom Menace novelization part two. So, really, maybe there's 14 Phantom Menace episodes in one year? We love the Phantom Menace so much. And I, I don't know. I'm... I feel I'm very happy. I feel like we did a a beautiful 12, maybe 14 part tribute to this greatly misunderstood movie. Yeah. Phantom Menace is and will always be a very special film to very special people. <laughs> well, and like George Lucas, if, if you're listening to this, then we love you. So now that you've heard so much about how we feel and think about Phantom Menace, let's turn it over to you guys and hear some of your thoughts on Phantom Menace. Hey, Blast Points. This is John from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Just phoning in to let you know what I truly love about uh, episode one, The Phantom Menace. I had a whole uh, spiel uh, put together about the world building in The Phantom Menace and how it defined the next 20 years of Star Wars storytelling. Um, but, but really, if I'm going to keep it real, what I love the most about the Phantom Menace is like the first 10 to 15 minutes of it where there's just so much Star Wars stuff crammed into that, uh, that, uh, those opening scenes that's, uh, borderline insane. And in the grand no hand holding tradition of Star Wars, uh, it just drops you right in. Lucas just takes you and just drops you right into, Diaxis gas and battle droids that are saying Roger Roger and there's uh, destroyer droids but they're also called droidicas and then Qui-Gon can use his lightsaber to melt the door awesome but then you have Nemodians little frogmen talking to uh, a uh, a kabuki princess basically on a hologram projector that looks like one of those things you stick your hand in on people's desks that have little pegs in them Uh, it's wild and it doesn't stop and it doesn't let up um, and it really is a statement of intent that uh, if you're not down with this first 10 minutes, you might want to bail out because uh, the next nine years of your life are going to be devoted to this 
this amount of insanity and uh it's just going to get more and more insane as it goes um so that first 10 15 minutes of phantom menace is pure star wars gold um it's proof that george lucas actually loves us and does want us to be happy Congratulations on completing 12 straight months of Phantom Menace-related episodes, like a couple of crazy people. There's always a bigger fish, and may the force be with you. Hi, I'm Megan. I am a relatively new listener to Blast Point Podcast. I started listening um, May this year, and have since gone back and listened to so many previous episodes. And I first just want to say how much I enjoy this podcast. I love the diversity of topics, the fun, the positivity, um, a lot of the history um, within the fandom that I didn't know about because um, born in the late '80s, I don't know all of the history behind things and appreciation of things that was earlier on in the Star Wars fandom history. So it's just been a delight learning about this beautiful fandom that I love being a part of so much. Um, and I was first introduced to Star Wars um, in 2000 when I was in sixth grade. My mom sat me down and um, shared with me her beloved VHSs of the original trilogy. And uh, immediately I was in love and captivated by the story. Uh, I loved everything about Star Wars. And then when she pulled out the VHS for The Phantom Menace, um, I was intrigued immediately, completely intrigued immediately. And then like actually sitting down and watching it, it, this was, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, this was what tethered me to Star Wars and made Star Wars feel like this is the greatest thing ever. Just the absolute greatest thing ever. I, um, being 11 at the time, I felt such a connection with, um, Anakin and Padme and, um, just seeing the various uh, challenges that were placed in front of each of them in the movie and how it felt so, uh, as an adult looking back on it, they both seemed like such impossible situations, but they both handled them with such um, beautiful grace and ease and courage. And um, I just really appreciate the acting and the story that was told um, from both of their perspectives in that movie. And, um, while it was so much fun seeing and meeting Qui-Gon and a younger Obi-Wan um, and the Jedi Council and fleshing out more of this universe, like really and truly um, Anakin and Padme were what tethered me to the Star Wars universe. Their ages and seeing the story start out and being fleshed out through their eyes was just a wonderful experience. And as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate more and more the costumes, the design. I love seeing um, Naboo and I love seeing Coruscant. Um, it's so much fun revisiting Tatooine and just such an appreciation for everything that went into the pod race and how fun they still made that, but how still the movie um, still felt full and exciting even after the pod race. Um, and I, absolutely Qui-Gon Jinn is still one of my favorite Jedi characters um and just seeing the political history and every how everything plays out um throughout the course of the prequel trilogy I feel like the Phantom Menace as an adult I can appreciate the foundation that was laid in that movie and um yeah as I said it just that movie just tethered me to the Star Wars universe and it's still one of my favorites to this day so thank you so much for the spotlight this year it's been wonderful i've really enjoyed it and i love going back and re-listening to these episodes over and over again thanks why do i love the phantom menace well 
mainly because it gave us new Star Wars. You think about what we've gotten even just since Disney came into the picture, and it's mind-boggling to realize that after Return of the Jedi, we all thought Star Wars is finished. I love that it ushered in a new look and a new story for Star Wars. I was never bothered by the, the beautiful sets, the beautiful costumes not being part of the used universe we were so used to. This was showing us things the way they were before the dark times, before the Empire. I love we got tons and tons of new action figures and vehicles. I love the homage to wacky races with the pod race. I love that we saw young Obi-Wan Kenobi, fresh-faced and smart-alecky, being told by maybe the coolest Jedi ever to pay attention to something called the Living Force. And I love that it gave hope to Star Wars fans that the saga was far from over, and here we are 20 years later, waiting to see finally how this saga's going to finish. What's up, Last Points? It's me, Albert, from Star Wars Mythology Podcast. Um, why do I love The Phantom Menace? Well, I'm here actually sitting in a place very close to where I remember watching The Phantom Menace over and over on VHS here in Canberra. But it's also been a globe-hopping experience. I remember lined up in Italy, of all places, in 1999, and I saw Qui-Gon dying uh, on the little preview screen in the box office, actually, back when we had box offices. And um, I from that moment on it didn't even matter honestly it really introduced mythology for me on the grander scale and what I mean by that is Star Wars was this palette setter it set the basic archetypes and it will always be, always be timeless and in many ways the original trilogy will always have my heart in the deepest sense but there is no there's no questioning how much the Phantom Menace had an impact on me. I got tattoos because of The Phantom Menace. I learned how to do a roundhouse kick thanks to Darth Maul. I got into acrobatics because of it. Um, but more than that, it was just so wonderful on a personal level to see a creator like George Lucas getting the opportunity to fully express himself. Um, and he didn't have that opportunity back in the 70s. And for good or for worse, it is just beautiful to see that someone got their will and their intent artistically and creatively out there completely. And there's something beautifully satisfying about that. It may have some issues here and there, but the adventure of it, the amazing variety of like wildlife. And I remember seeing all like the Gungan like life forms was just so exhilarating and I remember for the first time seeing the first thing from Phantom Menace I saw was the STAP a single trooper aerial transport or personal transport or whatever for the for the droids I thought it was the coolest thing and introduced me to Doug Chang who I always wanted to be ever since I saw his work um, this amazing illustrator and uh, who is still working with um, uh, Star Wars to this day with Fallen Order and Mandalorian you can see him there he's sort of the heir apparent to uh, Ralph McQuarrie uh, even though Ralph will, will always be irreplaceable and it has the spirit of Star Wars that first film was filmed um, uh, with with film you know uh, you know not digital and it just always will have this beautiful place in my heart and you cannot beat the pod race you cannot beat the overall sense of beautiful uh, galaxy expanding adventure that is the phantom menace so there you go have a good rest of the day my friends and a great episode and not long until rise of skywalker more mandalorian and hope you're enjoying fallen order take care bye now Hey Jason and Gabe, this is Jonathan, and I love The Phantom Menace for a number of reasons, both general and specific, but if I had to settle on one, I'd say that I admire its purity of vision. I don't know if there will ever be a film of this size and scope that'll match The Phantom Menace in that regard. Even the other two prequel films, I believe, were maybe slightly more influenced by external factors, be it 
fan reaction or critical response, or really even just the need to make certain story progress in you know each film. Uh, but with The Phantom Menace, George Lucas felt like he could effectively bring anything that he could imagine to life on the screen. The technology, the talent at Lucasfilm, ILM, Skywalker Sound, uh, and, and even the film's specific time frame in which it took place gave him the freedom to create something truly pure. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. <laughs> and to everyone out there listening who loves The Phantom Menace as much as I do, I just wanted to say that... I love each and every one of you. Experience the spectacle. Feel the excitement. Share the fun. Take the journey. All over again. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Rated PG. Okay, so it is that time of the month where we've got to say a big thank you to all the members of the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon, whose support we appreciate so, so, so very much. Yes, yeah, so we can start with uh, saying a big thank you to Mick, Ian, Robert, Nathan, Matthew, Darren, Brittany, Christina, Joshua, Kevin, Simon, Rebecca, Ross, Sean, Norm, Brent, Timothy, Brooks, Steve, and Chantal. And Jason, Augusto, Eliza, Andrew, Robert, Mitchell, Adam, Matthew, Drew, Elliot, Colleen, Andy, Rick, Kathy, Kevin, Gina, Jesse, Timothy, Doug, Kara, Susanna, Francisco, Tim, Chris, Patrick, Lawrence, Andrew, Joseph, Kevin, and Sam. And thank you to Robbie, CW, David, Ryan, Dustin, Kathy, Kit, Stephen, Allison, Anuj, Ash, Connie, Jay, Josh, Jeremy, Ryan, Adam, Brian, Patrick, Angelo, David, and Joe. John, Stephen, Marie, Jay, Jason, Tracy, Dave, Terrence, Mario, Stephanie, Jonathan, Matthew, Rodney, Amy, Craig, Steve, Brandon, Marissa, Neil, Michelle, Olivia, Kevin, Sean, Brandon, Richie, Tom, Ian, and Aiden. And thank you to Christian, Eaton, Lenka, Skytalkers, Andrew, JJ, Brian, Stephen, Jeremy, Andy, Ross, Lady Vader, Christopher, Caleb, Jay, Mike, Garrett, Jose, Sharon, Josiah, Raymond, Kirsty, Vic, Gregory, and Jake. And thanks to Dale, Tom, Sagacious Crumb, Angel, Hammy, Irabel, Candace, Matthew, Jen, Jesse, Jake, Emily, Amber, Sinatra, Jackson, Michael, Paul, Carrie, Justin, Jordan, Mike, Rob, Jonathan, Khadija, and John. And thank you to Katie. Amy, Drac, Amy, Matt, Jeff, John, Eric, and Todd. Woo! Thank you so much, everyone, for supporting the show and making it possible for us to keep doing this show and doing some extra stuff for you subscribers. Mandalorian Madness is still running wild over there on the Patreon. We're doing episode recaps for every single episode of Mandalorian. By the time this episode's out, we're past the halfway point. We're heading towards the, we're in the final stretch here. So we're having a ton of fun doing them. And I hope you uh, folks on the Blast Points Army are having fun listening to them. And if you want to get on the crazy train, head over to Patreon, sign up. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your support so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, JJ Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. You know what we're going to say? Apple Podcast Reviews. Uh, if you like what you heard, head over there, write a little something nice, and we'll read yours in an upcoming show. I know we're super behind with reading reviews, and hopefully maybe hopefully before the end of the year, we'll have time to go, go through some of those. And don't forget to check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, where you can use the search feature to search through back episodes if there's something in particular you're looking for. And check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you sign up for the Super Chill Group, where it is Rise of Skywalker and Mandalorian Fever 24-7 right now. And we've got new shirts that are still kind of new. We got... The Blast Points logo and Beskar shiny silver and uh, the shouted out Claude, which is the new hot fashion accessory for everyone. And uh, you can check out these these new shirts. And uh, if you want to represent Blast Points at your Rise of Skywalker screening, the link is right on the website, BlastPointsPodcast.com. And we want to mention and give a thanks to Insight Editions for sending us a bunch of the hot new Star Wars books to check out. And we're going to be talking more about those in the near future because they're pretty cool. Man, so cool. That pop-up book, unbelievable. And the Secrets of the Jedi book, like seriously, yeah, like I said, we're going to be getting into it. But if you're starting a, a shopping list for holiday gifts for a Star Wars person that you know, check out the stuff from Inside Editions. And we're not just saying that. Like these books are crazy. Yeah, the Galaxy's Edge cookbook has a recipe for root leaf. So I've been wanting to eat root leaf out of a little wooden bowl for as long as I can remember. So what else my chance? What else do you need? (laughs) Well, this wraps up Phantom Menace year. I don't know. Like I said, I'm so happy about with this. um, And Steve Sansweet and David Collins and Sky Talkers. And yeah, we did it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it. It went fast, but it was worth it, and it was, yeah, it was a good year, and Phantom Menace earned it and deserves its own golden year of enjoyment. We're going to have another theme for next year that we'll be talking about in a, in a future episode that we're really look, we're looking forward to. It's going to be epic. Great things come in 12s. So, all right. Well, that about wraps up number 197. We're dangerously close to episode 200, and... That's all. Get some sleep. So it might be the end of the world. Who knows? <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. 
May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. director is a director who knows what he wants you know is willing to have input but at the same time it's very clear picture what he's going after and how he's getting there and that picture of what he's trying to deal with is the larger picture of the story that he's telling uh, which involves the characters and involves the sets and involves everything else but each department has a tendency to want to overwhelm uh, the movie with its department you know the sets are everything everybody else is nothing and the actors, it's the actors are everything and everybody else is nothing. You know, it's the soundtrack is everything and everything else is nothing. The camera work is everything and everything else is nothing. And that's not true. The story is everything. And everything else should work in concert with that to tell the story. And there's a tool being used to tell the story. So you have to keep everything in balance. And it's natural that anybody who's doing something in their department would think their department's the most important department. Um, but in the in the real world, it's just a, it's a small clog and a large clock. May the force be with all.